0: And welcome to episode 450 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Hi, Adam. How's it going? It's going.
1: Yeah. I, it, yeah. I I know every time we just say, like, oh, well, we're good, like, you know, and put on, like, the podcast face, But, like, the real answer is I feel like we're both, like, the rest of the country, like, frustrated and angry and scared and trying to figure out what we can do. So, yeah, it's... um I told you before we started recording, the title of this episode is just going to be an anti-racism reading list. So, I mean, if you click to play, I hope you click to play, but like, that's what we're going to talk about today. We, you and I both talked in on like Monday or whatever for this week and we're like, this is, we should talk about this, that we should, you know, do what we can, which is book recommendations.
0: Also, we should be upfront about the fact that we're both white people. And so we'll probably mess up at some point in this, but...
1: Yeah, um, you're absolutely right. We're, you know, we are both obviously privileged being white people, and um, but I think, you know, we're also both well read, which is we wanted to rather, rather than us preaching, which is far too many white people are doing right now. Figure if you want to educate yourself, we can at least provide, provide some some book recommendations. So hopefully they'll help. And um, I know we're recording this on Wednesday, I know yesterday and yesterday on Tuesday. There's a lot of really you know, a lot of good lists like this, kind of going out and around, and and things like that. But um, yeah, I, I don't really know like how what what else to, to say other than to kind of get into the books. But
0: I do think because um, we also made a point when it came to selecting books, like there are books about race written by white people and white authors, but we made a point to specifically pick books written by black authors um so yes like we were very cognizant of that point of of picking those titles
1: yeah and um a lot of them are going to be nonfiction about things that have happened in, in history and things that have happened in, in recent history um i i think i might have one or two uh works of fiction i'm actually thinking now that they might all be non um
0: i know mine are all non-fiction i believe yeah
1: So i think i have I've one okay I have one work of fiction. Um but it's by James Baldwin which felt like that should be that should be on the list. Yes. Um but yeah, I you know we we work for a company that is thankfully very appreciative of, of people of people's rights and and you know understanding our part of the community and this is like I said we have a little bit of a platform with the podcast so that's what we wanted to do um if you're looking for additional books after the list here and they'll all be in the show notes and everything you can you can email us at professionalbooknerds.overdrive.com uh you can you know tweet us or send us an instagram message at probooknerds um we'll be happy to help you find some more because we i think we both picked six so there's about 12 books on our mm-hmm. list you know, the one that we'll mention at the beginning that's um on sale for libraries in just a second here but i mean a lot of this stuff at least i know the ones i picked i, I think they're kind of adult slash, you know, for, it could be for high schoolers and things, but there's lots of lists of books yes. for, for children uh, of all ages. If you want to educate, you know, your, your young people while they're at home, obviously this is all happening in the middle of, you know, the COVID-19 crisis is the pandemic, which has not gone away either. So if you aren't comfortable going to a library as they start to open back up or, um, you know, going to a bookstore and asking someone, we can help you get some additional the titles that way as well um, mm-hmm. do you want to tell everyone about the the first one just because we
0: no you interviewed her so you can okay. i sure did You're you absolutely... sure did
1: <laughs> yeah you sure so, did um so Layla f Saad, who was on the podcast um uh, a few months ago at this point um her book me and white supremacy uh it's it first off it's fantastic it started off as an instagram uh, challenge, and then she turned it into a workbook before it became uh, a full-length book, which is now what's available. Uh, it basically takes people, and she's basically asking, um, you know, white people to to look at this you know, sort of 28-day challenge that she put on Instagram and say, like, you know, you may not think you're a white supremacist, but you may be doing, um, you know, tendencies or doing actions that are racist without even realizing it, and sort of microaggressions and all these different things. So it really forced people to look at their lives and see how they're interacting with people who look and act and speak differently than them. Um, So after she put it out in the world on Instagram, like literally hundreds of thousands of people interacted with the work that she put out and and now it's a book. Uh, And the reason that we want to highlight it here, you know, we've talked about on the podcast before, but if you are a librarian who is listening and you are a part of the purchasing process for your library, for your overdrive content, uh, the book is extremely on sale right now. I think it's four ninety nine in. I think so.
0: I think um, that's on, right.
1: On sale from like twenty dollars a copy previously, and there's also um, cost per circ and simultaneous use options available as well. So um, this is definitely all the books that we're going to talk about today. I think you know if you are a librarian and you want to help educate your community, I, I think they'll be helpful. But that one being on sale um, really helps out. And again, it's not only a book that explains a lot of what has to do with white supremacy and how it could be affecting your life without even you realizing it but also is a book that has you take action about how you're living your life so highly recommend it and then um i want to say her episode was like 419 or something like that if you want to go back and listen um layla obviously can can speak to the importance you know in much further detail than than i could and i that was definitely one of the interviews where i wanted to make sure I was not talking very much because she is much, much smarter than me and had a lot more important things to say. So yeah, that's on sale. That's in our marketplace right now um, for librarians who are going in and um, yeah. So we'll, we can get into the rest of them and uh, I'll let you start with the rest of our list here.
0: Okay. So I'm going to start with, so you want to talk about race by Ijoma Uluo. Uh, this came out, I think last year, the year before um, and was big New York Times bestseller and um, uh, Ijoma talks about um, the the whole point of the book is like how do you have those difficult conversations with people right like how do you tell your roommate her jokes are racist or why did your sister-in-law take umbrage when you asked to touch her hair and um, so it's written both for black and white or people of color Um, and give sort of the language to have those conversations that seem really hard, but are really, really important. And I think that's a struggle that, you know, sometimes probably often um, white people have, like how do you have those conversations with fellow white people about why something that they're doing is not okay. And um, for those who also related, um, who like audiobooks? Uh, Bonnie Turpin narrates the audiobook for. So you want to talk about race? And if you know me, I'm, I'm a huge Bonnie Turpin yeah. fan. There's a whole blog post on the Overdrive blog about some of my favorite Bonnie Turpin books that she narrates. Um, so you can you talk about. So you want to talk about race with the dulcet tones of Bonnie Turpin in the audiobook.
1: It really is fantastic. I was thinking about that. While I was reading. I was reading your blog because I wrote my own for next week for some with someone mm-hmm. else. I was just like, I was listening to some of the samples of the books that you picked, and I was like, Yeah, man, it's so so good. Yeah, it's She's fantastic. So good. Um, my next one is "They Can't Kill Us All" by Wesley Lowery. Um, so this is a book that, unfortunately, is still very pertinent. But what um, Wesley did. At the time that it came out was uh, did a ton of reporting on the deaths of michael brown tamir rice and freddie gray and looked into how the police violence that was affecting america at the time and continues to affect it um, is really something that's been going on for generations Um, and so there's a ton of interviews in this book Um, leslie came here to cleveland and to charleston and ferguson and, and baltimore um, a, a lot of the places that are just uh, heavily policed, um, but they tend to be otherwise neglected corners of the country. So um, trying to shine a light on these uh, racially biased policing situations that happen in segregated neighborhoods. Um, a lot of times places that have failing schools and, and crumbling infrastructure and, and all sorts of stuff. But um, something that I loved about this book and, and admittedly, If you're reading any of the books that we we picked today, like it might make you feel uncomfortable and it should, like if you are feeling uncomfortable with these books, that's good. Um, But something that I do like about They Can't Kill Us All is it's not just a pictorial of everything that is wrong and pressing about uh, the country that we're living in right now. There's also some moments of joy and and happiness that you make sure to, to share about. Uh, Not just the people who lost their lives, but also their families and their friends, and and a lot of stuff. So uh, there's a lot going on in it, and it's really, really powerful. Uh, They Can't Kill Us All by Wesley Lowery.
0: Uh, So my next two are somewhat connected, but um, I'm going to start with the new Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. So obviously, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know that I used to work in a prison and wrote a book about it. We're not going to talk about that. That's not important right now. So the New Jim Crow, um, however, is about mass incarceration in the age of colorblindness, and I can say that um, when I first went to the prison and started working there, I definitely, and, I, and I, when I do presentations on the book, I talk about this, I had an idea in my head of the sort of people, quote-unquote, who end up in prison and why, and... I had to unlearn that because we live in a world where our criminal justice system is very, very biased against black people, especially black men and drugs. And if you actually read up on the history of the war on drugs and what Nixon was trying to do, and you read about mandatory minimums, and you read about the difference between how, um, you know, like crack and cocaine is treated by the criminal justice system in terms of of punishment, you start to see the very glaring um, disparities. And so that's why we had this mass incarceration problem. And Michelle's book is, um, it's been around for a very, like a very long time. It's known um, as that like one book that discusses the problems with our criminal justice system. And If you are someone who wants to be better educated on what is happening in our prisons and why, which I think everyone should, because I think it's, again, one of those things like not a lot of people are aware of, um, this would be the book to read. So that is The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander.
1: My next one is For Colored Girls Who Have Considered Suicide When the Rainbow Is Enough by Ntozake Shange. Uh, this was originally a performance piece that um, took place back in the mid-1970s, 1976. Uh, the genre is actually a choreo poem, which I have not seen many of, um, but the the copy that you can get and that I'll link in the show notes from Overdrive or if you want to go purchase it, um, it is all of the collected poems, there's about 20 of them, that go into this choreographed stage performance. And then there's also the um, the stage direction and, and, and different things in there. But um, they're different poems that are presented by seven different African-American women, each of them having a different color of the rainbow. So there's the lady in red, the lady in blue, etc. cetera. Um, and they, the subjects range from rape and abandonment and abortion, domestic violence, um, a lot of stuff. But basically what Shange was working on putting together were these monologues that wanted to connect with young colored girls in a way that mimicked how real women would speak to them so that she could get them to listen to the words that she was saying, not just in a way that sounded like empty speeches about how things can get better, but offer them solutions for things that they're going through um, despite living in, in oftentimes racist and sexist society. So um, it 's really, really powerful, and it 's a really quick read, um, so you can kind of get through it really quickly and again they 're all different poems and um, the stage direction is really interesting, but I, I I was really excited when I saw that that was in the book as well so that 's for colored girls who have considered suicide when the rainbow is enough
0: so alongside um, as I said they 're connected uh, the new Jim Crow I have Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson. So Brian Stevenson was a young lawyer when he founded the Equal Justice Initiative, which was a legal practice dedicated to defending those most desperate and in need, mostly the poor, the wrongly condemned, and women and children trapped in the farthest reaches of our criminal justice system. And one of his first cases was that of Walter McMillan, a young man who was sentenced to die, um, he was Black, he was sentenced to die for um, allegedly murdering a white woman, which he insisted he did not commit and so brian sets out to help um him appeal his case and it's it's just it's a really really powerful book um that sort of talks about again those disparities and what happens when you are a black person accused of committing a crime against a white person and um I don't It's a true story, so I don't want to like talk too much about um, what happens and just encourage you to read the book, which is Just Mercy.
1: Uh, so my next one is How to Be Anti-Racist by Dr. Ibram X. Kendi. Uh, Dr. Kendi was on episode 425 of the podcast. I interviewed him separately with from Jason Reynolds and then kind of put the two into one episode. Um, didn't know at the time that it would become a pretty even more important episode than than it was when we released it but um, I've seen some people over the past couple of days like retweeting and sharing that episode from a while ago so I wanted to mention that if you want to listen to them talk uh, when I interviewed the two of them it was talking about their new collaboration for Stamps but um, one of the books that Dr. Kendi is probably most known for and actually I, I think it was um, at least today like I said today's Wednesday I think yesterday it was like the most sold book on, on Amazon in different places um, is How to Be an Anti-Racist and this book and we talked a little about a little bit about it in the interview that I did Um, but what Dr. Kendi did was he wanted to take readers through not just the concept of being racist or not racist but being anti-racist so just like starting from the most basic concepts um, to kind of really showing how you can help make a difference and how you can try to help your voice be heard while also not drowning out other people's voices who deserve to be heard and who haven't been for so long. So, you know, understanding these different forms of racism that people may see, whether they're overt or not so much, and understanding all of the consequences that they have. um, He, just like every other thing that Dr. Penny has ever written, he weaves in um, not only like ethics and law and science of current things going on, but also about the history of this country and beyond um and also tells his own personal story about awakening to anti-racism um and it was something that i I read the book it's very eye-opening to see that you know this person who is an activist and so much on the front line of trying to help society heal itself a little bit is openly admitting like he didn't realize that he needed to do this himself as well as he was growing up so again i know this book got a lot of attention but i did want to mention it just because um It is extremely important. A lot of people are talking about it over the last couple of days. So that's how to be an anti-racist by Dr. Ibram X. Kendi.
0: My next one, trying to decide. Uh, Okay. (laughs) Okay. Mm -hmm. So why are all the black kids sitting together in the cafeteria by Beverly Daniel Tatum? So Beverly Daniel Tatum is a uh, renowned authority on the psychology of race. And this book is about, you know, this idea of self-segregation in groups um, such as black kids, white kids, and Latino kids. You know, if you walk into a a school or um, any kind of environment, they tend to be kind of clustered in their own groups. And so she goes into this and um, talks about racial identities and why it's important, but also, you know, having those conversations across racial and ethic divides. Um, and again, like if we're in this world where it feels like we, I don't know, like it feels like we're even more divided than ever. And we should talk about the fact that we live in one of the most segregated communities in the united states like cleveland cleveland is bad y'all yeah (laughs) and it really um you like it and it's been around for decades and probably centuries and if you you know look into the history of cleveland and the idea of redlining and and how the city was divided it was very intentional in in these communities and these pockets of of people um and it's, you know, it's becoming more apparent right now as we're seeing everything happening in, in our country. Um, and so Beverly's book is just another one of those things that how to have those conversations about race and segregation and self segregation. And um, it's just, it's really, it's a really good read. So that is why are all the black kids sitting together in the cafeteria?
1: Yeah, and then just to echo your point, it's such a like about Cleveland. It is we even but before we started recording, Joe and I were talking about there were a couple, you know, smaller uh, protests and and marches and rallies that took place over the last couple of days here in Cleveland, and like it, it's insane just to think about when you say a specific individual in a neighborhood around this area, and then depending on how their reaction and response went between both the people in the in those specific neighborhoods and the police. It's just like, you know if you say a specific place and then if the police reacted one way or the other, it's a surprise or it's not and it is. It's a very segregated area, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, um, anyone who is local Northeast Ohio will understand but there were two um, communities over the last few days which are both very, like they're smaller. Um, They're more, um, shall we say, economically advantaged their upper, you know, middle-class, um, communities. They're both very white. Um, and they both responded in very different ways when it came to protests. One had a peaceful protest. The other preemptively started boarding up buildings in preparation for riots that never happened. And so like, it's just our community, like Cleveland. Yeah. It's, it's very telling. Um, you know and surprising also how certain uh commute like suburbs I guess is probably the Mm -hmm. best way to put it are um responding um and so on the one hand you're like oh that's very surprising and gives me hope And on the other hand you're like oh that's not great so
1: yeah you're absolutely (laughs) right and like just to kind of put a bow on that part of our conversation like I've, I've talked openly about where I'm from, which is Lorain, Ohio. It's where Tony Morrison's from. It's a very, it's literally, I believe the s- official like sub line of the name is the international city. Like it's very, very, um, you know, mixed culturally, racially, uh, religiously. And so when they had, you know, when Lorain had their, you know, their marches and their, their rallies and their protests. It was unsurprisingly very peaceful and the police were on the same page. But like you said, it's, you almost can like drop a pin in various places around Northeast Ohio and say, I bet there'll be a problem there. I bet there'll be issues there and it it isn't, you know, so I really like that pick by you. Um, Okay, the only work of fiction that we've got here, um, The Fire Next Time by James Baldwin. Uh, James Baldwin, is a and you guys might hear my dogs in the background just that's one of the two of them I don't know if it's being picked up but um, James Baldwin is you know one of the defining voices in the civil rights movement also do want to point out and we'll probably get into this next week but it is June and June is pride month uh, and James Baldwin was also on the forefront of not just um, African-American civil rights but also gay rights as well um, so just felt like a good book to put in here but The Fire Next Time is a work of uh, fiction but it's very much similar to his long-form essays that he wrote over his lifetime and it's it's a plea to kind of end the you know racial nightmare that's going on in America and has continued to go on. Um, This was written back in 1963 which if you are somehow shocked by everything going on right now and wondering where it could have all started it has been not only decades long obviously but centuries of this type of thing but um, it's told in the form of, of two letters and on one of them it talks about his early life in Harlem and then the other one talks about basically condemning the terrible legacy of racial injustice that Um, has been going on again for, for not just years or decades, but centuries here. So really anything that you read by James Baldwin will help educate and inform you and inspire you. Um, Go Tell It on the Mountain is probably his most popular book, but I mean, that would be, you really can't go wrong with picking a James Baldwin book. So uh, The Fire Next Time is the one I'm going to talk about. And then after you go, the next one I have is actually kind of connected to that as well.
0: I saw that with the two names, the title. <laughs> yeah. Good job. Good Thank job, Uh Not you, the author. The other author. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you meant like in putting
1: them together. I was, no, like, no. I mean, no, I was no. like, I don't really deserve much credit. <laughs> I just read the book and liked it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, my next one is Blackballed by uh, Daryl uh, Pinkney. This is about um, Blacks in politics, specifically, you know, this idea of the right to vote. And one of the conversations that is happening forever but also over like since 2016 and then up until now as we're going this idea of voter suppression and and whose votes are getting suppressed and so um daryl's book is both memoir and historical narrative where he investigates the struggle for black voting rights um going back to Reconstruction after the Civil War, through the Civil Rights era, um, and uh, President Obama's two campaigns. And he sort of draws on the works of other scholars, um, memoirs and speeches of, you know, some really well-known Black leaders like Martin Luther King Jr. and um, Stokely Carmichael, and just sort of discusses what this looks like and how and why the the voting world looks like it does right now while also drawing drawing on his own memories of growing up during the civil rights era. So, I feel like again as we're in this position where we have um another presidential election coming up in a few months that is really going to be a I mean They're all defining moments, but in particular, this one feels very, very, very important in a way that I don't think other presidential elections have in a a long time. Um, Blackballed is one of those books that I think will help educate uh, people, I mean of all races, but in particular whites who don't you know, necessarily face this the voter discrimination and the voter suppression the same way that blacks do. So that's blackballed by Daryl Pinkney.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. Just like as sim- something as simple as how I've never had to think twice about when I drive to where I'm gonna vote and I vote and then I drive away. Like that's not how it works throughout the country.
0: I um I, I don't think I've talked about, I've talked about this with friends, but um I currently live in the same, you know, white suburban type, not suburban, but, um, community, you do Lakewood on the West side. And I used to live right downtown on, on, the, in the flats. And at the time that I lived there for the seven, eight years I lived there, uh, now it's all like fancy and gentrified. It was not like that at the time that right. I lived there. And my polling location at that time was around the corner, um, over near West 28th in, um, there's no nice way to describe, I mean, it's, it's a very poor rundown black um, housing project, Mm -hmm. which I've actually done a lot of research on. Like the history of that particular housing project is, is fascinating um, in terms of how it started as like this, it was one of the first housing projects in the entire United States after the great depression, like Eleanor Roosevelt came Mm
1: -hmm. when it
0: was opened and now it's like this pocket of Cleveland that people are scared of because it's just so rundown. Um, But it's also poor and black and those are connected because you know, whatever. Anyway, so I would go and vote um, in that area and I was the only white person who would ever show up. Mm -hmm. I feel like because nobody else wanted to go there. Right. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I would walk in, there were never any lines, and if there were, there were other people, you know, like, ones who live in that complex um, Mm -hmm. who were Black. There were maybe one or two white volunteers, but I would walk in, and they would look at me, and they're like, oh, the voting is down, though. Like, I didn't even have to tell them why I was there. Like, there was no other reason I would have to be there, and it was just... It was a big reality into what voting differences look like compared to where I vote now at a middle school, elementary school down the street where there's a line at the door of white people. And it's yeah. just like that is the reality of, of what our communities look like.
1: Yeah. For those that might be from this area, where Joe's talking about is right by like St. Malachi. Like, yes. So just right
0: over on the other side of the, the freeway. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, and if you're not from Cleveland,
0: you have no but, idea what I'm talking about. I have no idea,
1: but, but I'm sure it's not too different in a neighborhood somewhere near you. Correct, yes. Um, okay, so the last one I did was called The Fire Next Time uh, by James Baldwin. The next book I have is called The Fire This Time, which is a collection of essays and works that uh, Jessamyn Ward collected, but it's by a number of different um, authors and people of color. So um, they much like you would imagine a collection of works like this. It is a series of essays talking about contemporary racism and, you know, racial relations and things of that nature. Um, And what they wanted to do was shine a light on a lot of the darkest corners of our history that don't get talked about a lot. And, um, you know, it was envisioned as a response to the fire next time. Um, to try to show the significant progress that has been made in the 50 years since, you know, James Baldwin put these essays out, but at the same time show how long, how far, you know, we still have to come to have anything close to a post-racial society, which as we've seen this week and beyond, it's more, unfortunately, are we're close. So um, if you're looking for a nice way to get a series of different people's Um, opinions and thoughts and words in a singular book, uh, The Fire This Time, collected by Jessamyn Ward. It's a really good
0: collection. Um, So my uh, last one, I guess, is The Warmth of Other Suns by Isabel Wilkerson. So um, this is about how from uh, 1915 through 1970, there was an exodus of almost 6 million people uh, from the South up to uh, you know, the Northern parts of the country. And Wilkerson interviewed more than a thousand people and gained access to new data and records to kind of illustrate and show this very dramatic change um, that really altered what America looks like. And so she focuses on three individuals, Ida Mae Gladney, who in 1937 left sharecropping and prejudice in Mississippi for Chicago where she achieved a quiet blue collar success and in old age voted for Barack Obama when he ran for Illinois Senate seat. There is sharp and quick tempered George Starling who in 1945 fled Florida for Harlem where he endangered his job fighting for civil rights, saw his family fall and finally found peace in God and Robert Foster who left Louisiana in 1953 to pursue a medical career. was the personal physician to Ray Charles and um, uh, which and was like part of this his like whole very successful medical career and so she talks about This just like what it was like making this big migration to this different part of the country, whether it was by car or by train and, you know, creating these new, um, areas that have changed. Then again, you know, like as time has gone on, whether what, again, like what I was talking about, like what started as this really positive community have, unfortunately, because of, race in our country um have become areas that are you know in the description describes them as ghettos and so it's just this it's all it's really all connected it's all connected in a very big way and um so yeah so that's the warmth of other sons by isabel wilkerson
1: and then my last one is when they call you a terrorist by patrice khan colors and asha bandele and this is a nonfiction work as well about the creation of the Black Lives Matter movement. So uh, when Patrice was growing up, she was raised in an impoverished neighborhood in Los Angeles by her single mother. And it was in an area where you know, people of color are deliberately targeted by criminal justice systems uh, that seem to be serving white privilege agenda. And what ended up happening was after 2013, when Trayvon Martin's killer went free, uh, Patrice was really angry and started the Black Lives Matter movement um, with Alicia Garza and uh, Opal Tometi. And they were basically called and classified a terrorist movement. And so this is the story of them creating this movement that so many people are using as a hashtag and explain, you, you know, trying to get out in the world today and, and every day lately. Um, but they wanted to tell the story of, you know, how it got created and what it means when somebody looks at a simple saying of trying to express the fact that people of black and brown skin matter, and then in turn get told that they're terrorists for thinking that. So um, it's not only the story of how. Black Lives Matter as a movement came together, but it's also their reflection on humanity and trying to survive in a world that doesn't always seem like it wants them in it. So uh, if you're looking for information on how the Black Lives Matter movement actually got started, When They Call You a Terrorist is going to be the the memoir for you to take a look at. I think that's all of them, right? Do you have one more?
0: Nope, that's all of them.
1: Okay. Um, Obviously, this is just a small thing that we thought would help out a little bit but you know there's a wealth of information available for ways that you can help whether it's nationally or locally um, yeah is there any other stuff that you want to say or talk about on your end I don't think so okay all right well I hope these books helped and again if you want some additional recommendations just feel free to shoot some email but I hope you guys liked this episode of the professional book nerds podcast
0: Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunewald, and presented by Rakuten Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Coming up on 5-Minute News...